scripture today comes in the book of John, chapter 6, verses 16 to 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough, and, became, and because a strong wind was blowing, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is God's word for us today. Father, we confess our need for your divine help through the present power of your spirit right now. This is a Sunday in a time of year where there are many distractions crowding for our attention. You were kind in many respects to, to give us a short, simple, directly to the point kind of text. And so we pray you would keep us alert and awake and attentive and that you would feed our souls because we say to you, because this has been our experience, where else could we go? For only you have the words of eternal life. Help us now in your name we pray. Amen. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Psalm 93, three through four. That was the first Psalm that we read, if you remember. And I preached the week the coronavirus blew up. And I read it again this morning to remind you, friends, that the truth about God doesn't just exist. It reorients. It, it takes our hearts and minds that are prone to, to seeing the world one way 
and, and causes us to, to perceive it in a completely different light. The truth about God doesn't just exist, it, it reorients. What, what does the psalmist see first? Well, he perceives chaos because he hears chaos, that the sound of a roaring and thundering flood. It's, it's loud, it's, it's consuming, it's powerful. What, what, what do floods do? They go where they want and they do what they want, right? They're, they're no respecter of persons. And the circumstances of our life feel like that many times. But what does the psalmist see next? He perceives that the power of many waters and the might of the waves of the sea is, it's just a foil, a point of contrast for the infinitely greater power and might of God. The covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, who, who sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. He, he goes from seeing the flood to seeing the flood in relationship to the Lord of the universe and the Lord of the universe in relationship to the flood. And when that happens, his perspective is reoriented. I, I linger here, friends, because Christians sometimes speak of trusting God as if it's some sort of violent mind game. But what do I mean by that? If, if, if I could just rip my attention away from my circumstances and keep all my attention focused on Jesus, then I would be okay. Pastor, how do I do that? Well, I don't know how you do that. Because that's not what the Bible means when it talks about trusting God. Scripture is far more careful and helpful. Listen, we, we don't trust God despite our circumstances as if, as if mental transcendence of all the physicality of our fallen world were the key to happiness. We, we trust God because of who he is in relationship to our circumstances. In other words, trusting God isn't a matter of saying, well, I used to see my circumstances, but now I don't see that. I just see Jesus and, and that's it. No, we trust God because of who he is in relationship to our circumstances. That the truth about God doesn't replace the psalmist awareness of the flood or dull the thunder of the waves, does it? Rather, it causes him to see the flood and to hear the waves for what they actually are. What are they? Another part of the universe that is in complete subjection to the reigning power of King Jesus. So, whether you're exploring the Christian faith, or new to the faith, or, or maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, know this, we never get beyond our need to be reoriented to the truth of the relationship between the Lord of hosts and the circumstances in our life. 
because there's a connection between those two things. Do not look for comfort in the next year by ignoring what is going on in your life and trying to just somehow get your mind above all that to where you just think about God. That's not biblical. And that's not what trusting God means. We need to see who Jesus is in relationship to the circumstantial forces in our life. And that is why I love this little passage in the middle of John chapter 6. Because here we're confronted with what we need to know and remember about Jesus in relationship to our circumstances if we're going to stay oriented as the people of God. So what do we need to know and remember about Jesus? First, that his power is absolute, friends. Verses 16 to 19. His power is absolute. You, you might think it's strange that in a historical account designed to help us see who Jesus is, remember, in relationship to the circumstances in our life, that, that John doesn't actually begin with Jesus doing anything or saying anything. In fact, Jesus is strikingly absent as this story begins. He's just finished feeding probably some 15,000 or so people in, in the hill country on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And, and instead of responding by humbly trusting him, what, what did the crowd who just got their stomachs full decide to do? Hey, we got a great idea. Let's hook this guy up to our agenda and make him king so we can get out of all this Roman oppression. We've got plans for you, Jesus. We'd like to make you king. Well, Jesus came to deal with a far greater enemy than Caesar, didn't he, friends? And so in verse 15, John tells us that Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself, leaving his disciples with the crowd. And soon evening comes. The sun begins to set and, and the disciples get, get into a small boat on the shore and begin to cross the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum, presumably to find lodging for the night. But by now, it's completely dark. They're out in the middle of the lake and there's still no sign of Jesus. And, and what could have been a peaceful journey of, of at most probably a few hours quickly becomes incredibly difficult. A headwind comes down and opposes their progress and begins to stir up the sea until John says, verse 18, it became rough. Now, I have a sneaking suspicion, for the most part, I am talking to a bunch of landlubbers. But if you have ever been in a little boat in the middle of the ocean, or, or even just a sound or a lake, when a, when a storm comes through, that's not a laughing matter. It's one of those times you realize we are so small and fragile. But these guys are experienced fishermen, of course, at least some of them. And so they start rowing for Capernaum. 
until they've covered about half of what was probably a five or six mile trip. And John doesn't tell us exactly all that they're thinking or feeling at this point, but, but it's not hard to imagine. You know, the, the last few hours have been physically exhausting, mentally stressful, and painfully slow on top of what had undoubtedly been an emotionally exhausting kind of long day. <laughs> you, you ever found yourself in a similar sort of situation, friend? Where you might say to Jesus, Jesus, I, I feel like I'm coming off one of the, the greatest spiritual moments of my life. I've seen your power. I've seen your glory. I mean, it's, it's crazy, but, but actually I can like feel my trust in you growing. I just watched you feed a couple thousand people with five loaves and two fish. We talk about a miracle. You did the work. I picked up the leftovers. I mean, if, if we can just sail this into the sunset, this following you think is going to be amazing. I love it. But now, I don't know where you are, what you're doing, or what is taking you so Ever felt that? All the forces of nature that you just overcame a few hours ago are literally smacking me in the face and calling the shots the way they always did before you ever showed up. You know what? I bet that was just one of those mountaintop experiences, and now it's back to the real world where all we do is row. John doesn't tell us here whether the disciples were frightened by the storm itself, but they soon saw something or, or rather someone that shook them to the core. Look at verse 19. They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near to the boat. I think there was a certain tameness, if I could use that word, a delightful comfort to, to watching Jesus fill the hungry stomachs of thousands of people. But there was nothing tame or, or remotely normal about seeing somebody walking to you on water. We like miracle in door number one. We are unnerved by miracle in door number two. I mean, just, especially if this is a familiar account for you, slow down and imagine peering through the howling wind and waves in the middle of the night and seeing what, what looks like the form of a person 
You know, you know how waves kind of block your vision and you can see again? You know, appear, disappear. Appear, disappear. And the entire time, it's getting closer and closer to you. I mean, they knew Moses part of the Red Sea and Israel walked through, right? They knew that Elijah parted the Jordan River and Elisha walked through. But walking on the water, that had never happened before. No wonder they were terrified. You would be too, that's the point. And we know from Mark's gospel and Matthew's gospel, they they thought it was a ghost. But, But what were they actually seeing? They were seeing Jesus doing what? Defying the laws of nature that he created in a stunning display of the power of God. That's what they saw. You've got the sea battering the disciples for all they're worth. It's not peaceful. It's not quiet. You know, it's not like watching the perfect storm in your leather recliner. They're in the thing. They, they don't get to hit the pause button and take a bathroom break. They're getting knocked all over the place. And, and, they, and Jesus is just walking on the storm, walking on the waves, like, like he's just walking down the driveway to get the morning paper. Imagine that. Why, why did the Lord do that? Well, he did it, friend, because the one who created all things and sustains all things, he wanted to show his disciples just how much every force in the natural world, every thing they would ever encounter on this earth is completely subject to him. That's why raging seas included. But even before they realized it was Jesus, notice this, their instinctive fear indicates they got one thing right. That the figure drawing near to their boat was entirely other. That there was nothing ordinary about this. Why not? Because they were glimpsing the transcendent majesty of God, friend. And and their response in that regard was not at all unusual. what, what, What did the saints of old, like Isaiah or Daniel, do? How did they respond when they glimpsed something of the transcendent power of the Lord of hosts? You know what they did not do? They did not ask for his autograph. They, they did not strike up a casual conversation. They didn't say, hey, can we, can we inch a little closer? What did they do? They crumpled to the ground. The, the very fibers of her body began to unravel under the weight of divine splendor. So Isaiah said, what? Woe is me. I am undone. They, they quaked in fear. 
We need more of that, brothers and sisters. Wait, when was the last time you actually stood in awe of King Jesus? Or, or have you gazed so long at the gods of this world that, that you've lost any kind of feeling sense for how great he really is? You've, you've anesthetized your heart to perceiving reality because you've looked at false little gods for so long. The good news, friend, is that no matter what you think or feel about Jesus, it doesn't change for a moment the fact that he reigns supreme over everything in his universe. Doesn't change it. Job 38, verse 8. Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out of the womb? When, when I made clouds its garments and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said to the sea, mind you, thus far you shall come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Who said that? You didn't. <laughs> the friend whose approval you crave didn't. The boss you wonder if they're not going to like you and fire you this year doesn't. Jesus said that, friends. Because from the waters of a flood to the mutation of a virus, you will never encounter a person or a situation that will delay Jesus or stop Jesus or force Jesus to go with plan B. Why not? Because Jesus doesn't do plan B. <laughs> Ever. Never will. Because he's God, friend. And unlike you, and me, and all the other things that loom so large in our mind, his power knows no bounds. So you need to stop looking at the situations in your life, at your circumstances, and saying, well, I guess that's just the way it's going to be. I guess it'll never change. That, that relationship will never improve. That provision will never come. It's just too late. Even if he wanted to intervene, what could God do at this point in the game? Do, do you think the disciples ever thought in their wildest imagination that Jesus... <laughs> would walk to them on the water? Do you think that was in their God possibility arsenal? Do you think they were even, could even conceive of praying for such a thing? Of course not. Isaiah 55, 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts, says the Lord God. You need to know, friend, that you serve a God if you are a believer who delights to shatter your small thoughts and small prayers and faithless conclusions with displays of divine power that you never dreamed would be possible in your life. 
who says to the voice of doubt in your head, I am the God who plants my footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Is is anything too hard for me? The first thing you need to know and remember about Jesus, if you're going to be spiritually oriented in the next year, is this. Who is he in relationship to your circumstances? His power is absolute. Got to start there. Second, who else is he? Verse 20, his word is our comfort. His power is absolute and his word is our comfort. How, how did Jesus respond? Look at verse 20 to his disciples' fear. Get over it. You, what are you, blind? You guys just never get it, do you? No, praise God. He graciously, boldly, loudly, shouting over the raging sea. What, what, what did he say? Ego eimi me phobeste. But more like, ego eimi! Me phobeste. It is I do not be afraid. You know, it's, it's like a, those of you who are parents, you ever had one of your children you wake up in the night and, and they're obviously in the middle of a nightmare? It's one of those terrors. And you can hold him and, son, it's me, dad. It's me, mom, you're okay. It's how Jesus is comforting his disciples. And, and on one level, it's a very simple statement, a common way of saying, it's me, ego me, it's me. But there's a deeper level of meaning here, friend, that emerges in the larger context of the Gospel of John, and especially in the larger context of all of Scripture, because in John's Gospel, ego me is also translated as I am. Not just it's me, but I am. And that is what the Lord said to Moses In Exodus 3, verse 14, when Moses said to the Lord, hey, what is your name? (laughs) It's kind of bold. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Who, Who is Yahweh? He is the great I am. The self-existent one, the the self-sustaining one, the uncreated one. Think about that. You have a beginning, God does not. You have needs, God does not. You are dependent on all sorts of things to sustain your life, God is not. It's it's called the aseity of God. And And it's the essential distinction between who you are as a creature and who God is as our creator. And by crying out, ego me," Jesus calmed his disciples' fears. It's not a ghost, ego me." But he also summoned them, for those who had ears to hear, to, to a very different 
sort of fear. A, a holy reverence. A righteous awe. The, the, the kind of fear that, that Proverbs 1.7 says is the beginning of wisdom. What's that? It's the fear of the Lord. A, a good fear. An altogether necessary fear that does what? That, that trembles before the weight of his majesty and honors him accordingly. But by itself, hear this friend, ego eimi is not good news to you and me. Why not? Because it reminds us by way of contrast that we are not the great I am. That we are creatures and that we are accountable to our creator, the great I am, for every word and every thought and every deed. It says that too. Ego eimi tells us we are not captain of our fate and master of our soul. Ego eimi tells us we are not alone in this world, free to do whatever we please. Ego eimi says there is a righteous judge in heaven in whose sight every one of us is found wanting on account of our disobedience of his law. Whereas Edward Clink observed, standing where only God can stand, Jesus declares what only he can claim. I am. And that is where we too have to begin with Jesus. If we're gonna grasp the reality of our need for deliverance from sin and death, but notice, back in verse 20, Jesus did not stop with ego me. What, what, what did he immediately add? Do not be afraid. What, what is that, friends? Well, well here too, the, the fuller concept of scripture, it helps us. It is the hope of the gospel. Do you realize that? What, what did... What did the angels announce to the shepherds in Luke 2, verse 10, the night Jesus was born? Fear not. Why not? For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You, you need to know something, friend. In light of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, there are two statements that do not fit together. What is that? Ego eimi and do not be afraid. And yet that is precisely what Jesus came to put together and hold together and keep together to the eternal satisfaction and joy of your trembling soul. And his words had an immediate and decisive impact on the trembling hearts of his disciples. But you know what they did not know? They did not know that putting those two words together would lead Jesus ultimately to the cross. They didn't know that, but it would because it's through his sinless life and his atoning death and his victorious resurrection that egoe me and do not be afraid, join hands. And Jesus holds out the same word of revelation and comfort to you today, friend, if you're willing to receive it. Through the words of scripture, he confronts us, our fearful, trembling hearts, with the same good news. 
What's that? Who, who is God in relationship to your situation? Well, he's the great I am. He's, he's transcendent. He's real. He's reigning over that situation because he's the great I am now and forevermore. And, and who else is the Lord in relationship to your situation? He is the Lord who says to you, do not be afraid. I lived for you. I died for you. I, I rose from the grave for you so that you could run to me when you are terrified for salvation instead of rightly running away from me in fear of judgment. And so that you could know because I lived, because I died, because I rose from the grave, that nothing in all creation would separate you from my love. It's Jesus, his person and work, that really lets us say with the psalmist, God is, the I am is. Ego me is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Jesus makes that true, friend. As no one else could. So what do you have to remember if you're going to stay spiritually oriented as we head into 2021? Who is Jesus in relationship to our circumstances? His power is absolute. His word is our comfort. And we'll end with this. His presence is our good. Look at verse 21. Each of these verses is, is like a treasure. What, what happened after the word of the Lord calmed their fears? Verse 21, then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Two miracles, right? Number one, Jesus walks to them on the water doing what only God can do. That water representing, the storm representing, the chaos of the entire fallen world. Miracle two, as soon as Jesus got into that boat, what happened to the boat? It was immediately at their desired destination. Which means we have to be really careful in how we apply this passage. <laughs> because the spiritual lesson here, listen very carefully, is not invite Jesus into your boat this year and all will be well. That'd make for a catchy sermon, but it would be a lie from hell. Because John 6, 21 isn't a spiritual promise of smooth sailing. It's a promise of something better than that. Because it holds true even when the wind is still blowing and the waves are still crashing and you do not sense the Lord's nearness, Christian, and you struggle mightily to believe that he's actually in the boat with you through the presence of this indwelling Holy Spirit that the guy in the pulpit keeps talking about. Here is the principle, okay? Here is the right application. Listen, the supernatural power of God 
is not restricted to God's experience. He delights to do something. What's that? To exercise his power on behalf of his people. (laughs) Especially when you are weak and tired and struggling and exhausted. John John couldn't be clearer about this. It it wasn't the hard work of the disciples that got them to Capernaum. What was it? It was the power of God, right? Did, did, Did they work hard along the way? Were those guys sweating and soaked? Absolutely. But their labor wasn't decisive. The presence of God with them in the boat was decisive. And so I don't, I don't know, as you look in the next year, all that you anticipate experiencing, Christian. But I will tell you something that you can happily expect, confidently expect. What's that? You can confidently expect to experience the supernatural power of God in your life. You can expect that accomplishing for you and in you what would otherwise seem impossible. Why can I say that? How do you know we're not just lifting that from verse one and plugging it into us because it feels good? Philippians 2.13. For, because, it is God who works in you. Christian both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here's the warning in verse 21. Do not become a functional atheist by writing out the supernatural from your future in advance of that future. That's the warning. We don't control the nature or the timing of God's manifestly supernatural activity. We can't order it for delivery. But we can confidently expect to experience it because Jesus is just as much present with us through the Holy Spirit as he was with his disciples in that little boat. It's it's how the Lord has always cared for us as his chosen people. Listen to Psalm 107, verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. You realize that's where all true sanity ever begins. The moment you decide to cry to the Lord in your trouble. He made the storm be still. The waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. What is Jesus doing with these signs, friends? He's just shouting. He's screaming. Don't you guys get it? I'm God. The same God who's been working like that from the very beginning, and his presence is our good, friends. It's our good. So let's enter the next year with great expectations of a great God. Because he's going to see to something this year. He's going to see to it that his good purpose for your life is fulfilled. 
that you do arrive at exactly where he knows you need to be. And he will get you there by his power. (laughs) Because wind and waves don't hold a candle to Almighty God. If you want to be oriented, remember who Jesus is in relationship to your circumstances. His power is absolute. His word is our comfort. And his presence is our good. And if you want to pull all that, to, all that together, just remember this. Journal this. Thank God for this. Pray for faith to believe this. Ask God to open your eyes to see this. Very simply, friends, if you're in Christ, the Lord of the universe is with you. That's what you get. You put all that together. His power is absolute. His word is our comfort. His nearness, his presence is our good. You put all that together. Wait, what's the, what's the big picture? The Lord of the universe is with us. And so I leave you with some words from my absolute favorite bishop, the inimitable J.C. Ryle. Let all true Christians take comfort in the thought that their Savior is Lord of waves and winds, or storms and tempest, and can come to them in the darkest hour walking upon the sea. There are waves of trouble far heavier than any on the Lake of Galilee. There are days of darkness which test the faith of the holiest Christian. But let us never despair if Christ is our friend. He can come to our aid in an hour when we do not think in ways that we do and did not expect. And when he comes, all will be calm. Let's pray. There is so much about this holiday that at least in theory is devoted to recognizing and celebrating your birth, Lord. That feels very light and sweet and cute. But we thank you for reminding us today that God with us does not mean any of those things. It means power and presence and strength and glory and transcendence and might and sovereignty and hope and joy and awe and the fear of the Lord. And so we ask that those qualities would characterize our hearts and color this church for the next year. That no matter what happens, we would gladly, cheerfully, gratefully, 
shout to every voice of doubt and unbelief, oh no, it's really okay because the Lord of the universe is with us. Help us do that when we're feeling it on Sunday morning and when it looks like a distant memory on the note page on Wednesday night. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.